0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be continuing through the Gospel of Mark, our series, uh, where we've been looking at the ancient kind of biography uh, called the Gospel of Mark. It's a, the life and words and ministry of Jesus. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 today. But before we do, I want to remind you last week, Fred uh, told us about Uh, November 6th, that's four other Sundays, okay, so we are having church that day, church is just going to start at a different time, okay, so instead of 10 o'clock, it's going to start at 9 o'clock on November 6th, Uh, like Fred said last week, that's okay, because that's time change Sunday, so you gain an hour of sleep, and if you're like us and you have little ones, you're going to be up at like 5 o'clock anyways. I don't remember which way it works, but time change is awful with little kids because they don't care about time change. It means nothing to them. They're going to be up, but for four other Sunday, uh, what we're going to be doing is uh, come uh, prepared uh, to serve others. Uh, you see, this is our the values of our church. So we say that we're a, a church that exists to create environments uh, where life change is possible. And so we do that by creating environments where we can be uh, in God's Word, with Jesus, and for others. And so we're taking a Sunday to focus on the four others. And there's some different um, community projects to love on our community that Amy is lining up. Amy and Maggie are lining up. The main one is Oakley Elementary kind of banks on us every year uh, taking care of all the leaves on their property. Uh, their their maintenance and grounds staff is understaffed and overworked, much like most of the world right now, it feels like. And so last year, I think we had, I, how many bags? Like 150, like 150 bags of leaves that we took care of last year, okay? So if you're like, hey, I don't, like, just going to raking leaves isn't that important. It really is, okay? Like that... that Community—it's an easy way to love on others. But if you can't physically do that, or if you have little ones and thinking about a few hours of raking leaves sounds almost impossible, don't worry. We're gonna have like some stuff for families to do. We're gonna have things here in the building. So if you're physically unable to go rake leaves, we're gonna have stuff. But but just so you know, we are still having church on November sixth, even though it's gonna be a little different. Okay, does that make sense? Are we everybody? Okay, are we awake today? Okay, we are awake. Good. Um, Hey, let me, let me read the passage today, and then let me pray, and then, then we'll jump in. We're in Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in the first 12 verses today, and so let me, let me read the passage for us, and then we'll pray. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea across the Jordan, and again crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, what did Moses command you? He replied, and they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said, well, it was because of your hardness of heart that Moses wrote you this law. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together let no man separate. And in verse 10, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Let's pray and then we'll jump into it. Jesus, thank you for your life. Thank you for your words. Be with us today as we... Uh, see what it means to follow you, to love you, and I pray that we leave today knowing, loving, and trusting you more than when we came in. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. So in in 2004, there was an Olympian named Matt Emmons, and Matt Emmons competed in the three-position air rifle event, and he was like a shoe-in guaranteed gold medal. All right, so it came to the last round of the event, he was in first place. All he had to do was step up and hit the target. And so to put it in perspective, this guy was like crazy disciplined, crazy trained. I mean, he was, he was going to win no doubt the gold medal. He had hit bullseye after bullseye. Like, they, like guys who compete, Olympians who compete in this, like train themselves to like shoot, like pull the trigger for the air rifle in between heartbeats, okay? So like, there's like no way that he's not going to get a gold medal here. And so he steps up to the line, and he holds his rifle up, and he shoots, and it's a dead bullseye. And he starts cheering. So as he starts cheering, he turns around and he looks at the scoreboard, and he goes from first place to eighth place. And in confusion, he turns around and he realizes he was celebrating hitting the wrong target. He got up, did exactly what he was prepared to do, but he hit the wrong target. See, I think for us, as Christians, in my experience, as a Christian, as a pastor, is that in church, we can get really good at celebrating hitting the wrong target. We can get really good at cheering about the wrong things. We can think that we're doing good stuff, but we've really just been doing the wrong stuff Often it feels like we've traded out what it means to follow Jesus for surrogate saviors that allow us to keep fear and fe- fear of failure and our inability to differentiate between what other people think about us to actually follow Jesus. Or maybe it's easier to celebrate something that advances our church or our political party or our sports team or our career choice, but it hinders us to participate in and receive the kingdom of God in our life. See, reading that uh, passage of Scripture, I could almost like feel the air leave the room a little while ago. Because for some of us in the room, I think we've got a few different folks who are, who are taking these passage, this passage of Scripture and hearing Jesus talk about divorce this way a few different ways. Uh, I think there are probably some of us in the room that have personally experienced divorce or someone very close to us has. And we've heard verses like this, maybe even these verses, weaponized against us to bring shame and guilt. And if that's you, let me just say, I'm, I'm sorry. That's not what these verses were intended to do. Jesus, his goal was never to bring guilt and shame, but to bring redemption and restoration and reconciliation and grace. See, divorce is not a sin. Just for some of us to hear that, hopefully, is life-giving. Like Jesus said, it's not God's ideal for marriage, but it can often, like it was here, and we'll see a little uh, as we get into the text, it actually can be a gift of grace for some. So I think there may be some in the room who are currently going through a divorce or know someone personally who's actively going through a divorce, and let me just say, please, we would love for you not to walk through that alone. It can already feel isolating and lonely enough. Don't do that. Email Amy or Fred or myself, and we would love to to help and be there, walk through that with you. Or maybe you find yourself in a marriage where that word has come up more and more lately, maybe even more than it ever has. And if that's you as well, let me just say we would also love to be there for you and help you process through that. Feel free to email any of us on staff. We'd love to connect you with a counselor or help however we can but when we talk about the verses when Jesus is talking about the verses today I want to be sure to kind of set the tone there because it's important that we don't project our modern idea of divorce onto the text and what's happening here okay it's very important because like like we see this is not a question of the Pharisees coming up to Jesus and, and having that conversation that maybe you've had with a co or like Someone finds out you're a Christian, they're not a believer, and they ask questions, or, or you find yourself in conversation with other Christians and believers, and you find yourself talking like, okay, well, so let's just say, like maybe you've been in a conversation on like this before, it's like, let's just say that someone does blank. Are they still saved? Right? Or, or you find yourself saying like, can someone be blank and still go to heaven? You ever, anybody had those conversations before? Okay, this is not what's happening. This is not the Pharisees walking up and asking for Jesus' pastoral theology on like divorce and broken marriages. That's not at all what's happening. We have to remember, look, it says that the Pharisees came and were testing him. The Pharisees were coming up, they were testing him on the law, just like they were doing with the Sabbath, and they did with hand, hand washing and, and purification rituals, all that we've seen through Mark. And as usual, Jesus is taking the test about the law, and he's, and he's bringing it to a deeper level. While he answers their questions, he's getting to the root of the motivation behind their question and their test, which was probably motivated by two things, Jesus going deeper. One, I think they were trying to get Jesus in trouble the same way they got John the Baptist in trouble. If you remember back, what got uh, John the Baptist thrown in jail and ultimately beheaded is that he was speaking against what would have been like a, like a, like a divorce, not on right terms, or, or not the way that God permitted it. Okay, so, so that's what, so they, the, the Pharisees were thinking, okay, this is an easy way to take care of this Jesus problem, right? Now that he's back in Judea, it says that he traveled into Judea, now that he's back into the region under the jurisdiction of the same folks who just killed Jesus' like ministry partner and cousin, John the Baptist, we'll just get Jesus in trouble the same way. And so, so, that, so I think that's one, but then the second reason why I think Jesus is bringing it to the root of the issue, and he's really getting past their question, is that he is taking their question, and he's spinning it because he's making them understand that they're asking about sin management, and Jesus is trying to instill the kingdom of God where he was. And so today, what we're going to look at through these verses is we're going to look at the differences in the gospel of sin management and the gospel of the kingdom of God. Okay, not, not that like when I say the gospel of sin management, not that it's a true gospel, but, it, but we're familiar with kind of like, like, celebrating hitting the wrong targets in different ways right like we we talked about at the beginning like some of us grew up in church if you're like me i grew up in church and this was not a bad thing this this I'm, i'm thankful for this but like i grew up in a church that celebrated like the gospel of soul winning right like like i grew up in a church and in kind of a religious tradition where it was like that was kind of the end all be all like man you know you gotta be praying for lost souls. You gotta share the gospel with everybody you meet. Don't be ashamed of the God and and all those. true, I'm thankful for that. Like I, like I've got a little bit of like that in my bones, you know. But like the way the way that wasn't the full gospel is that like it left me feeling like ashamed if I didn't share the gospel with somebody. You know what I'm saying? It's like I should be. I just made this friend at work. I guess I'm supposed to make them think I'm weird now immediately. I don't know. You know, like instead of build a relationship. So, But I'm thankful. It taught me to pray for the lost. It gave me a heart for that. But it left me a lot of times like feeling ashamed. Or maybe you grew up in a church that was like the gospel of worship. Okay, where it was like, hey, if you don't come to church and just have an all-out breakout experience worshiping and celebrating God, then you're doing it wrong. Like we were made to worship and celebrate and like all that's good, but like, So many breakouts and you end up like having a breakdown, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, oh my gosh, like I can't top last week, you know, like I was running around on the pews, like what am I going to do this week, you know? So maybe gospel of worship is is what, you know, or maybe, you know, it's like a a gospel of uh, justice, where it was like almost the opposite of the gospel of soul winning. Where it was like, hey, as long as we have the right like systems and structures and everyone gets everything they need, then the world will be good again and everything's right. But it's like, man, like you can have all that without an you know regenerated regenerated heart. You know, like you know, full bellies are fantastic and everybody I hope should have one. But like you got to know Jesus, right? So like all so all of these are good things, but if we celebrate them too much, or, or maybe some of us did grow up in a gospel of sin management. You know, like, like that's the church and kind of the religious structure you grew up in, which maybe was why this passage and even hearing some of the things Jesus said was kind of triggering for you. Is because, because even me saying divorce is not a sin, maybe part, there was something in you that thought, is it not? Like, is it not? Because the gospel of sin management, what it does, the gospel of sin management grasps. See, let's look right here. It's a typical day for Jesus. He's traveling around the Judean countryside, and as people gather around, he teaches them, and the Pharisees come to trap him. But Jesus, I love the way he kind of flips it on them. Look at what he does. Some Pharisees came in verse 2, and they were testing him, and they said, well, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So they're coming in using big language, the word lawful. That would have made it a question of sin or not sin. All right, but look what Jesus, how did he respond? He said, well, what did Moses command you? So he kind of turns it back on him and says, okay, you tell me the law, right? They're supposed to be, how oh, they kind of back off in verse 4. He says, well, Moses, meaning the law, permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. See, they were asking what was lawful. Jesus immediately turns it back on them, and they kind of back off a little bit. It's like whenever your, your kid, like Cora, asks me all the time, like, hey, can we have dessert tonight? And, and, and it's like, yeah, we can have dessert tonight. So in her mind, that means she should eat only dessert tonight. You know what I'm saying? That's not how it goes. Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should right now or we have to, right? Like she did it just the other night. Like she, she, she did it. She sat down to eat and we hand her our dinner. And she's like, basically, this is Matt's paraphrase. Basically, it's like, what is this garbage? I don't want to eat vegetables. I want Oreos, right? And I'm like, well, we can't have that yet. And she said, no, no, you said we could have dessert. So what she does, she starts declaring something based on authority that she doesn't actually have and that I'm the one who said it to begin with, right? So when the Pharisees come up and they're like, hey, well, what does the, what's lawful? Jesus is like, well, what does it say, guys? <laughs> like, like, don't come at me with this. You know, I wrote it, you know what I'm saying? Like, they were trying all that they could to, to get away with something based on authority that, that Jesus was going to have to himself submit to, but Jesus was trying to get them to see that their question wasn't even the problem. See, the problem was that they, they were using a gift of grace to try to control others. They were, they were control graspers. I got that, I got that term from a, from a book by a man named Robert Mulholland. Uh, invitation to a journey, he says that because we live in an objectivizing culture, meaning we look at things and we look at people, we look at the world around us as just objects that we can use and shape to fit and bend within our will, that it's easy for us to think that everything should just be grasped and controlled for our own purposes. And so control graspers are are people who like me. I'm, I'm, I'm bad for this. We like to create control structures that allow me to be the subject of a world full of objects so that I can do whatever I want with them with no repercussions to me. Like from my family to my coworkers to my finances, my job, even my spiritual formation, like the way that I relate to Jesus and the practices that I do and I choose, I like to create structures that let me have full control. Like if you've ever thought about like doing you know, some of the spiritual disciplines or practices, you know reading your Bible, whatever, Like how, how many of you guys Because it's not for me. How many of us thought one day, just randomly thought like, Jesus talked about fasting, I'm just going to fast. And it was super easy. Okay, how many of us thought, I'll do a Bible reading plan. Easy for me to set apart 15 minutes a day and read. You don't have to raise your hand. But think about even the spiritual disciplines, the way that we relate to God. It is so much easier for us to control that and we gravitate towards the ones that are easy than the ones that actually stretch us. And this is, the Pharisees were masters at this. See, look at, look at what Jesus does in verse 5. He says, it's because of your hearts, because your hearts were hard, that Moses wrote you this law. So already Jesus starts to personalize it back on them. He's like, hey, this isn't a theoretical situation we're talking about here. The, the heart is a personal issue that you have to deal with. See, we, sh- we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus has been doing stuff like this. And, he- and here's ultimately hardness of heart because they weren't in the law. See, hardness of heart is, is the result of now allowing God to change you. Robert Mulholland goes on in-, in that book talking about power graspers. He says, graspers powerfully resist being grasped by God. Manipulators strongly reject being shaped by God. Controllers are inherently incapable of yielding control to God. See, spiritual formation is that great reversal from being the subject who controls all things to be a person who's shaped by the presence, purpose, and power of God in all things. See, Jesus came to break all false gospels, all false hopes, and replace it with himself See, the sin management, that control grasping that the Pharisees are doing, they're asking, what can I get from this? But in the kingdom of God, Jesus is teaching us to ask the question, well, who needs grace? That's what he's already done. See, they come with a theoretical blame shifting, and Jesus says, well, well, it was because of your hard hearts that God permitted that. See, already... They have forgotten the reason why Moses permitted them to write a certificate of divorce to begin with. See, the sin management that they were trying to proclaim, it looks as people as a means to an end. But in the kingdom of God, people are seen as citizens and heirs to the throne of grace. See, the whole reason the certificate of divorce was allowed to be written to begin with was to protect the woman. See, let's just take a step back of this context, okay? So let's just think about the story we're reading, think about the context, We have a group of Pharisees who are trying to control their spiritual and religious life without thinking about who the outcomes or their actions affected. This is a group of men asking a man about what men were allowed to do to someone more, more vulnerable than they were for a reason that would benefit them. These were men who would have religious, social, economic power over women, who in that culture, by the nature of their culture, were, were more vulnerable than them. And the Pharisees, they had no concern about how the women would be affected here as long as their needs and desires were met. They were grasping at control and didn't care who they hurt along the way. But where the gospel of sin management grasps, the gospel of the kingdom restores. So with, so with that in mind, you guys ready for a quick Three minute meta narrative of the Bible? Doesn't matter. <laughs> doing it anyways. All right, three minutes. Do we have a timer? No. All right, Adam and Eve were created with the purpose of doing what God did in the Garden of Eden throughout the whole earth. So if you remember, God cultivated, subdued the earth, made a beautiful garden. Then he created Adam and Eve, and he told them to do the same thing. So Adam and Eve standing side by side. We, we, in the English translation, say rib, the Hebrew. The picture is literally there is man, and then woman comes out. Parallel figures standing side by side with each other. Given the command, God says, go, rule the earth, cultivate it, subdue it, be fruitful, multiply over the whole earth. Basically what he's saying is, I'm deputizing you two to go do what I've done here in the Garden of Eden. So so there they go, they go out, but they were immediately, right, so, so this is man and woman, two rulers of the earth, basically royalty, king and queen that were supposed to go do this, spread the kingdom of God uh, across the whole earth, but immediately they're confronted with another kingdom that was trying to usurp the throne of the earth from God. So the whole, the whole plight of humans has been how to get back into doing and being the people of God's kingdom. The people of Eden, who are taking things all over the earth, the presence and purposes of God and making everything beautiful again. So the gospel of the kingdom remember Jesus it says that he came and came proclaiming a gospel of the kingdom is what he came doing. When he came doing that, he was saying that God is redeeming the Earth and turning it back into its original state through Him, through Jesus and for humans. that ultimately means a loving union. With God the Father, that's why Jesus at the beginning of Mark, we looked and said, "The kingdom of God has come near." He's saying, "Guys, it's right here. I'm coming back to make all things new again." Jesus made the way for us to experience the activity and power of God's kingdom right now, possible through His life, His death, and His resurrection. He made it visible by the proof of His miracles and healings, and when we place our faith in Jesus we receive the holy spirit which guarantees the presence and purpose the presence and power of god in our lives and then it's up to us it's our responsibility to bring his purpose along with that and that's what it means for god's kingdom to enter into our lives so when we're talking about the kingdom of god restores see for a kingdom to exist you got to have four things you got to have a king you got to have people to rule you got to have some kind of law you got to have land So for us, when we talk about participating in and engaging in and experiencing the kingdom of God in our lives, it's God the King who has written the law on our hearts by the Holy Spirit through Jesus. We are his people submitting and making his will and purposes active in the world all over the earth. So that's how we get to join in the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is doing, all right, was that three minutes? Yep. Somebody say, "Yeah, I'm anxious today." Somebody give me some positive feedback. I need some affirmation. Yeah, it's okay. When Jesus, what Jesus is doing in his teaching is he's restoring God's planet creation. Look at verse six. Look at verse six. But at the king beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Okay, so that's equal standing before God. So let me ask. Let me ask a question. And you can answer it out loud if you want to. It may just be food for thought. Was hierarchy based on anything other than a God-human relationship? So does that mean hierarchy or authority structures based on gender, class, race, ethnicity, socioeconomic standing? Did any of that exist before sin entered the world? No. The answer is no. No. So what Jesus is doing, he's bringing them back and getting them past the idea of, "Can a man do whatever he wants? can a man do this? Can we do that? Can we manage sin? Can we? What's the line of too far?" And Jesus is saying, "No, no, no step back, because all of us are equally accountable to stand before God. Look what He says. When he quotes Genesis: 127 and 224 here, he's reminding them that originally... The way it was designed, no one would have the authority to call off a marriage, because God's idea, an ideal which we know doesn't work, because of that opposing kingdom that confronted Adam and Eve all the way back in the garden. We He said that no one would be able to do that, because they were at equal standings, but because of sin, Jesus or God even said in Genesis three after the fall, He said, "Hey, because of that, He said." You, you know, you're going to want to be over the man, but the man's going to rule over you. That's an outcome of sin in the fall. And so when Jesus, if the law gave permissions, like when the law gave permission for man to do that, it wasn't to prove any kind of power or authority. It was actually showing the heart of, of much of the law of the Old Testament. And the, and the heart of God is that he gave that permission because of the hardness of heart. And because really it was to protect the vulnerable. It was to protect the woman. Right, the law in Deuteronomy 24 about the divorce, it says if a, if a man wants to divorce his wife, he can write her certificate so that she, basically, the, the paraphrase, so if she goes and remarries, no one can hold anything against her. Or the ex-husband can't try to come back and, and take her for his wife anymore. So it's to protect the woman because in that culture, in that standing, you read all through the law. It's hard for us to think it. Like, we make jokes about the law and, like, even Bible reading plans. It's like, oh, I'm in Leviticus, so I'm just going to skip to James or whatever it is. The law, the Old Testament law, the first five books of the Bible, are just filled with grace. Constantly, constantly, grace upon grace. Like, and, and almost always it's because God was saying, hey, other nations, when they, like, take over countries or whatever, they pillage and they plunder and they take slaves and stuff. You guys don't do that. You can't treat people that way. You have to give people dignity and respect and you have to provide and take care of the vulnerable. That's all through the law. See, Jesus was saying this because if the law gave permissions due to the people's hardness of heart, like that's a grace. Like like there are people who have been through really brutal situations And the divorce, the the opportunity to get out of that marriage has been a gift from God. How much more then can we rest in the grace of Jesus who has taken our hearts and taken them from stone and turned them into flesh where the seeds of his good news can bear fruit? The good news of the gospel, that Jesus has come to make all wrong things right. See, look at verses 11 and 12. We look at verses 11 and 12 and automatically, if you're like me, maybe it's because of the way I grew up, maybe it's because of my hardness of heart, but you read verses 11 and 12 and that's where it, like, it feels like it gets really heavy, right? Because he starts bringing up the, like, the adultery word and he's talking about divorce, but really what he's doing is, he says, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. Okay, that's what the, that's what the law says makes total sense to them. In that context. They would have heard that and they would have said, great. But look what he does in verse 12. He says, and if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Okay, that was not in the law of Moses. Even culturally, in their context, the idea of a woman having the, the power and authority to divorce her husband was unheard of. So once again, just like Jesus did all through his ministry in life, is he is bringing back and reversing the curse of sin, and he's bringing back, if anything, this is less of Jesus talking about adultery and divorce, and he's more using their context and what they knew to level the playing fields for genders, once again, the way it's supposed to be. Right? Paul riffs on this later in Galatians, and he says, hey, all are in Christ Jesus. There's no Greek or Jew, slave or free, male or female, for all are one in Christ. See, in front of the cross, because of what Jesus did, Anyone can stand on a level playing field with dignity and respect because of the way Jesus, our king, made it. So then the gospel of sin management, not only does it grasp, but the gospel of sin management says that holiness comes from doing or not doing. See, the, the law on divorce found in Deuteronomy, it was, it was saying that if a man wanted to divorce, divorce his wife, he could give her a certificate and that it could, it could basically be done. They could basically be done with it. But Jesus was, and, and what they're coming to Jesus asking him is, is the same thing they asked him with Sabbath, the same thing, whatever. They say, hey Jesus, your disciples are doing this, or hey, what do you think about that? What do you think about? They're testing him because they have figured out the line, and if there wasn't a line, by golly, they drew one. You know what I'm saying? Like there's this thing called the Mishnah, which was around the time of Jesus, uh, leading rabbis and and religious leaders at the time wrote. Basically, like, hey, we're not sure if, like, the first five books of the Bible really answer all the questions, okay? Like, have any, has anybody ever made it all the way through Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy and thought they're missing some? Anybody ever done that? The 660-something laws? All right, these guys, this is how serious they were. Like, they weren't sure if the line was clear enough of sin or not sin, so they are like, let's just add, like, 500 more, you know? So, like, they, so they started writing all these other laws, because, and, and what he got them to, what Jesus is trying to get them to understand is listen, the, the way to righteousness is not by doing or not doing. It's not by, is this sin, is this That's the wrong question to begin with. Jesus is trying to get them to understand that the, the law itself wasn't given so you could be free of sin. Like Paul in Romans, he says, like, it was actually because of the law that I knew about all this sin. Like, it, it trapped me under it. In Galatians, I love it, Paul just clearly, like, if you've ever wondered, why the first five books of the Bible are even there, like the law, like the laws of the Old Testament? You go, Paul says in Galatians, he says, why then was the law given at all? He said it was added because of the transgressions until the seed, reference back to Genesis 3.15, meaning Jesus, to whom the promise referred to had come. It's the Pharisees were so worried about, is this doing, is this not doing, are we obeying, are we not obeying, what sin, what isn't sin, that they couldn't step back and see Jesus. See, the Pharisees were living in a kingdom that was ruled by sin management. They were asking, how far is too far? What's allowed and what isn't? But the question of God's kingdom is, how deeply can I know God? They were so concerned with what's right and wrong, and they had preferred to place their trust in a culture that totally missed the fact that, God wanted, that the God that wanted them to do the right thing to begin with was standing right in front of them. See, in the kingdom of sin management, holiness comes from doing and not doing. But in the kingdom of God, holiness comes through intimacy. See, what does Jesus take the Pharisees' questions back to? You look at verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. Jesus is basically now using like common sense theology to get them to understand that the, the point, the whole point of following God and knowing God and trusting God like isn't by doing and not doing the right thing. And there are sure, absolutely things that we shouldn't do and we're warned against and that do not lead to life and, connect, and communion with Jesus. But Jesus goes back to the common sense like, like he relates to. So the first thing he relates to is like, when were humans the most intimately relatable to God? the Garden of Eden, right? Look what he says. At, at the beginning of creation, God and uh, God made them male and female. Then verse 7 the second thing, he kind of like follows this, this train of logic. The second one is, all right, what's the most human, intimate human relationship we have without even trying? It's our families, right? Look at verse 7. For, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife. So that, that has, the third thing is like, what's like the riskiest thing you could ever do that could potentially ruin your most intimate earthly relationship? Start over with basically a stranger, marriage. Right? Like, like that's the, ri- like, so, and then why would you want to ruin what God has to offer? See, that's what, look, where, therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. If, if God's plan for intimacy with other humans ultimately is like with marriage, right? Not, that's not the end goal. Let me say, if you're single or, or life of marriage is not for you, Jesus is the end goal, okay? Intimacy with Jesus is the end goal, marriage is not the end goal. Okay, but if that's the, the life God has for you to, to become married, it's like, why would you want to ruin that? Like, what God has brought together, don't let anyone separate. Like, no one has, no one should have the authority to do that. It's because of sin that divorce and all, all the wrong things exist in the world. See, a life, an, a life of intimacy is a life where you are fully known and you fully know others. See, a life of intimacy with God is where we are totally known by Him and we can completely know Him. We may not be able to know absolutely everything about Him while on earth, but we can know Him fully. We can know Him fully. And so what does it look like to participate in the kingdom of God in our lives, this kingdom of grace? How do we break free from the kingdom of sin management? It's, I love like, Jesus stood up, the king stood up and kind of gave his law on earth, right? The the Sermon on the Mount. Let me just read a few verses from Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 33. It says, So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to have enough worry for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. See, we have a king who came and instead of allowing us and permitting things to happen because of sin, he allowed and permitted himself to be killed on our on behalf of our sin. Instead of a law that's written on stones and hidden in a temple, Jesus went back to the heavenly temple and wrote the law on our hearts through his Holy Spirit. See, in a world that is, that is rife with brokenness and hurting relationships, Jesus came to restore and make things whole again. In a world where we sing like a minute ago, where we're constantly told we're not good enough, we don't measure up, that we should be ashamed of who we are, or ridden with guilt Jesus came and said no I've come to set you free and and anyone who I've set free is free indeed and so I read those verses because I would just ask if you're looking to live in the kingdom of God break free from sin management maybe you find yourself grasping control maybe you find yourself looking at people only as means to an end maybe you find yourself constantly asking am I doing the right things am I not doing the right things and that overpowers your ability to just Know God and be with God. Let me just ask you, when our king came to earth and gave his grand coronation speech on the, on the hill that we call the Sermon on the Mount, he said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all everything else is going to be given to you. No, no, no more need to compete with others. No need to, to think that this world is dog-eat-dog dog anymore because God sees that you need everything you need and he's going to give it to you. And so when we stand there, let me just ask you, what are you seeking first? What's the thing that you're seeking first? When you encounter someone who needs grace what's the first thing you see in them? Is it a chance to fix? Or is it a chance to share? See in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1 Paul told us, he said, as fellow laborers in the gospel, I asked you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So what does it mean to receive the grace of God in vain? It means that you don't take the grace that's been given to you and reciprocate it to those around you. It means that the grace of God stops with you. And so I just ask, is there something that keeps you from seeing people the way Jesus does? Is there something that stops you from seeing Jesus for who he really is? See, Jesus is the word that came among us, took on flesh, and it said that we receive from him grace upon grace. He's the one who restores and redeems. And God help us if we care more about what other people are doing than how beautiful Jesus is. He's our savior and he's come to set free. So I'm gonna pray for us and we'll continue worshiping Jesus who came to save us. Jesus, thank you for how good you are. Thank you that in a world that's, that's broken and Jesus, we feel it. We feel the hurt. We feel the brokenness. In a world that's full of that, you came to restore and redeem. And Father, help us in those places where where we only see other people as a means to an end or or we don't think through the actions that we take of how it's going to affect other people because God, from the very beginning, your plan has been humans in in a loving union with you and in right relationship with one another. So Father, help us as we seek first your kingdom, the kingdom, the, the spaces, throughout our life where your will is being exercised. Your purposes, your power, and your presence is there. Jesus, be with us there and forgive us of all our sin. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.